What role do stories about the past play in equipping people to navigate life? Welcome to the Good Word. I'm Jody Washburn, host and study guide author for this 13-week series on the Book of Psalms. Thank you again, Tiago Aheis and Matilda Fry, for joining me. I look forward to our conversation. The title of this lesson is Lessons of the Past, and I wonder what your thoughts are on what role stories from the past or about the past play in helping us as humans navigate the twists and turns of our lives. Stories play a big part. You sit down with your family on special days and you basically go back and you tell often the same stories again and again. And sometime when in my teenage years, I felt like, what's the point of this? I hear it now for the 10th time, the same story from the same person. And and the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Because things change, um, our memories change, and it is good to real not just to hear but to relive the story, and I think um, some of these psalms do that. So they go back to storytelling, to bringing back those memories that are important for for the people. I like Psalm seventy-eight because it starts to talk about those times in a riddle, in a parable. Mm. Why is that? The, uh, I will utter dark sayings of old that our fathers told us. You think the darkness is supposed to capture the distance? Yeah. That this is like, this is your ancestry, but far enough back that it mm. is obscured from your your full understanding. Yeah. Mm. And then he begins to go to the story of Jacob and the generations that come from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm listening and thinking to you, Matilda, here. And I mean, we are meaning-making creatures. We're trying to make sense of things in every mm-hmm. season of our life. And and I think you're right. I think the beauty of, of biblical stories or stories in general is that as we move forward in our own personal lives, the stories, they change because we end up noticing or having, we have different eyes to see different aspects of things that we didn't pick up before. Um Jesus utilized stories to sort of confound people, you know, and to make them curious about things and approach them in a deeper and more interested way. I mean, um, parables. And and I I love, I think it was Eugene Peterson who wrote once about Jesus' storytelling abilities that his whole thing was uh, to be subversive in a way where, where he's like teaching all of these things to people so that then leaders or people who disagree with him would approach and say, no, he's, he's not teaching any new doctrine he's just telling stories about coins and sheep and uh, so we're good we can just walk away and then on the way back to their home it's like a grenade that explodes like no he's actually using these things to expand you know that's what storytelling does it expands our imagination it creates spaces for us to fit ourselves and our experiences within them um so i remember this one time i was uh, playing a concert in brazil and i in the middle of it i opened uh, i left my guitar and said, let's just talk to the audience. Let's, what, what questions do you have? I mean, how, how can we make this a little bit more personal? And somebody raised their hand in like the balcony and said, are you like a Calvinist or an Arminian? Like, out of the blue. It's like, I'm what's doing, <laughs> playing, playing music here, man. And But he wanted to know where I'm coming from in regards to my theology of salvation, my soteriology. How do I see these things? So I, I immediately, I, I just simply 
the gut reaction was I just retold the story of the prodigal son. And he's probably sitting there thinking, well, that's, you know, you didn't answer my question. But there's a beauty in that, in, in the sense that, that stories shock us. They, they, they frame our questions differently. And I, I, see, I see some value in that, in the mm-hmm. expansion of the imagination and reading and rereading and moving in life and seeing different things that we haven't seen. And I don't know, there's something mm-hmm. to be said about that. Yeah, I like to think of storytelling as kind of co-creating, right? We get mm. to create through our storytelling. I also wonder, Matilda, as you were talking, I was thinking, does it make a difference how stories are told? I'm thinking particularly of storytelling that connects us with each other. I'll give I'll give an example. I mean, this is kind of an oversimplified example, but I have been in the presence of prolific storytellers who tell the what what we would call in my growing up community the fish story okay so you tell the same story about your victory and power each time the fish so to speak gets bigger and it's not told in connection with other people and i often find myself kind of disengaging when i'm in like oh boy here we go again <laughs> and then there's there's another um aspect of storytelling where and I wish I could remember the the book where I saw this cited recently. I'm not sure. It was in one of these books about it was either from the healing power of storytelling or from the book called Together by Vivek Murthy, but the author was talking about a study where they actually were examining the resilience of youth who faced tremendous obstacles. And one part of what they studied was like basically a series of questions like, do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know? And the the questions were examining how much these young people knew about their family, about their, their birth stories, what their family had gone through, their family ancestry, like, like basically the, the history. And there's a fascinating um, connection between the amount of, of knowledge that a young person has and then their levels of resilience in mm. times of crisis. And so I wonder if there is, you know, there there's storytelling that heals and that that really fosters this sense of, of connection and human solidarity and gives us a foundation from which to navigate um, all the different parts of life. And then there that maybe there are story there is storytelling that that also separates or isolates mm. Um, I, it's it's just a question that was boiling in the back of my mind as you were as you were speaking, uh, Matilda. But I wonder, you know, speaking of Psalm seventy eight, and we could certainly list many many other poems from the Book of Psalms that recount different aspects of this history. Um, for instance, Psalm one hundred five talks about the history, but focuses specifically on um, the deliverance of the people, right, on the exodus, the deliverance of the people from bondage in Egypt. And we could find psalms that focus on on different aspects. But do you think that there are certain points in the history of Israel when it would have been especially crucial for the people to tell and retell their stories? And if so, like, what are those points? Are there points in in life where it's particularly important to tell and retell stories. Well, in Jewish tradition, it is it is very much part of the f- um, festival days 
to retell the stories. Mm-hmm. You start a year with the Passover festival and with the with the story of the Exodus, and it becomes an experience for young and old. So everyone is included in there, and the children ask the question, and um, they receive the stories, and so on. So they become part of those stories. I love how the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 5 does that. At the beginning of chapter 5, where we have the the second um, version of the Ten Commandments, before you get to the Ten Commandments, you have this introduction that tells about, well, it was not your fathers and your ancestors who were there on Mount Sinai and God gave them the, the, the commandments. It was you. You, all of you who are alive here today. What? So I do this also in the classroom. And I say, well, when did that happen in the story about the Ten Commandments in Exodus? That was like still at the very beginning in the like seventh week. Just seven weeks have passed from the time of the Exodus and they received the Ten Commandments. And now we go to Exodus and we're supposed to be like 40 years down the road. So and all those parents have passed away. And and Moses tells them, no, 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 no. It was not them who stood there on Mount Sinai. It was you. Mm-hmm. How come? So immediate. Yes. How how can he say that? So what do we what do we do with this way of telling the story, making the people, the the young generation, the the new people, who were just born over the course of those forty years, making them be part of that. Mm-hmm. Long history of stories. Mm-hmm. There's no disconnect. Yes, they're part of. I think there's. Yeah, I mean, what that, what I think of when I hear you, Matilda, is is this idea of precedent, right? I mean, if faith is truly this trust in the God who promises and does to remember these stories of what He has done in the past, is sort of establishing a precedent and an anticipation of what He's able to do now, and that we're not disconnected. I think from that old history that it's the same God who's at work. It's the same God who sees. So I think there's something to be said about that. Um, the second thing that comes to my mind is Aristotle. I mean, he um, to his students, he he sort of had this concept of exemplars um, in history because Aristotle was interested in developing this virtue in his students, this this ethical, beautiful way of living in the world. And, and, and at one point, he uses this idea of exemplar. So he talks about Priam uh, using Homer's uh, Iliad. Priam, there is a king. His son is Hector. He, they're defending Troy from the attacks. And, and Achilles kills uh, his son, Hector. And, and he uses this image of Priam. He brings it into his classes to, for the students to imagine what virtue looks like, right? So he says that Priam, he goes down and he pleads for Achilles to be able to take the body of his son. And he places his hands on Achilles' his mouth and face. So it's just a beautiful way. So Aristotle recounts this image of Priam and uses him as an exemplar as to not so the students can be like Priam, which is what we do with the Bible all the time. Oh, we have to dare to be a Daniel. or we have to. No, it's just so that we can live within the same consciousness of, of these exemplars and then turn to our own lives and develop the ability to gesture and to move in similar ways within our own circumstances. So I think the form we tell stories and the way we tell stories can also invoke these exemplars. I think the Bible is filled with exemplars for us as to how we are to move and gesture for the good and for the bad, depending on the circumstance and how... In the end, it all leads to the Jesus, who is this greatest exemplar, that as long as we are united with him and gesturing and moving like him, 
then we have everything that the Bible, the prophets, the law pointed toward, embodied in our own life. Hmm. Makes me think, Tiago, of the... I've done research the last few years on cultivating compassion. And it's fascinating to me to hear what you're saying almost about the formative power. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean formative as in teaching principles, although that is the case, but formative as in almost awakening Mm -hmm. these virtues in the listener. By means of the story. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, And it's so interesting to see the research on how if some people maybe don't benefit from imagining, right? Like I might walk someone through like a safe haven um, reflection. Well, it seems that the same benefit can happen if we write out something or if we vividly imagine ourselves there, that, that all of these different, right? If we're listening, we're telling a story, we're reflecting on it, you know, using a pen and pencil, pen and paper, that it's all forming us. And so I love that idea of, of telling the stories of the past being a way to form us, to, to almost be part of our, not only our being, but our becoming. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both, Matilda and Tiago, for being my conversation partners. Special thanks to Ben Busby and Rick Basket, our program engineers, and to you, our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. For The Good Word, I'm Jody Washburn. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.